What's up, Pelicans fans? Welcome back, and thank you guys for joining us on another episode of the Pelican Debrief Podcast. Now, for those of you who may be joining us for the first time, my name is Preston Ellis, and I am so excited you guys are here. Now, last week, we had some fantastic interviews with Saints Nation's Andrew Juge, what up, Juge, Space City Scoops' Kelly Eco, and Nug Loves Matthew Huff, and we're having Matthew back again soon. And because of them, and because of you guys, our listenership is really on the rise, so thank you. Now, coming up today, we've got a great pregame interview with Sacramento Kings expert Rafi Wong of aroyalpain.com. Now, this guy's going to break down the upcoming game and give us some great post-trade reactions. But first, let's get some technical stuff out of the way. Now, as you know, you're listening to Pelican Debrief Podcast at pelicandebrief.com. But what you may not know is that Pelican Debrief is part of the grander fan-sided sports network. Fansided also supports A Royal Pain, the site dedicated to all things Kings. Now, you can follow us at Preston Else, that's me, at Pelican Debrief for our site. And you can head to our site, pelicandebrief.com, blah, blah, blah. Find them at A Royal Pain on Twitter. But before we get to Rafi, let's take a quick moment to recap last night's action. Pelicans beat the Dallas Mavericks to keep their narrow playoff hopes alive, 121-118, in a game that got way too close for comfort near the end. Now, the Pelicans led by as much as 13 and a third, 10 early in the fourth. They were up 12 at halftime after a DeMarcus Cousins uh, midcourt buzzer beater, which was pretty impressive. Uh, but then Yogi Ferrell's fadeaway gave the Mavs their first lead deep into the fourth since they led 17-16 in the first. The game was at 100-99. to The two teams went back and forth with two minutes remaining behind clutch shooting from Seth Curry and a lot of three-pointers and uh, great shot-making from Dirk Nowitzki. But the Pels kept pace behind AT and a step-back dagger in the corner from instant grits closely contested by Seth Curry with less than a minute to play. Now, following the timeout... The Mavs got a quick lay-in led by Curry, which was a, a perfectly designed play. And then on the ensuing possession, Drew Holiday wasted an entire possession before sacrificing the ball to Han Solo with six seconds left. And uh, you can pretty much guess how that ended. But the Pelicans prevailed at the buzzer when Wesley Matthews 3 bounced off the backboard. Now, our hero, as always, was Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis, who finished with 30-13, and 13, did so for the fourth time in four games. The only player since Shaq to accomplish that feat and had a couple of highlights and one low light. The, well, I guess you can't even call it a low light. He and Dante Cunningham in the second quarter both raced past, past the scorer's table for a loose ball, sending AD into the locker room. He would recover and had many more highlights. There was one that was replayed um, almost immediately on Twitter on video. It started with a Solomon Hill ball poke away. Yogi collected it, went for a shot. He was deep into the shot clock already. AD rejects it. The ball looks to be going out of bounds, and it looks like the Mavs will get one more shot before AD goes behind the stanchion, grabs the ball, throws it back onto the court, saves the possession. It was really uh, the stuff of legends and heroes. And then later on, being rejected by Dirk Nowitzki with less than two minutes to play, collected the ball and just savagely ripped it over Dirk's head, a nasty jam that had the fans all going absolutely bonkers. But he was our hero on the night, but he was paced by four other Pelicans in double digits, led by, of course, 
Boogie Cousins, who had 29 and 16 on a bum ankle. He was quoted by Jen Hale at the end of saying, you know what, if I'm out there, I'm going to play. He said, we were terrible in this game. Our defense was awful. We let this team back in the game. If we want to be in the playoffs, we'll need to come back out and have a better showing. We still have a chance, and that chance starts on Friday night against the Kings. But before we get to that, Drew had 18 and 7, Dante with 15, Instant Grits with 15. He now has double digits in 10 of his 11 games since joining the Pels. The Pelicans only gave the ball over seven times in this game. What an improvement. No player on the Pelicans roster had more than one turnover in a game that only saw eight players play. But the Pelicans played their brand of basketball all night tonight against the third best scoring defense in the NBA, a team that only gives up 100 points a game. They finished with 51% field goal percentage, 40% from three. Now, the Mavs also had five in double digits. They were led by Dirk. He had 23. The Pelicans are now winners of their seven of their last 10 games. They moved to 32 and 43 in sole place of, uh, I guess, 10th place in the West. They are half a game ahead of the Mavericks, who now fall to 31 and 43. I'm not sure how that tiebreaker works. We'll have to check Twitter for that one as uh, the teams now split their matchups two to two. Winners of all things home games. But that leads us to Raph. Next up for the Pels on Friday night in the Smoothie King Center in a revenge match against their former hero, the Kings come to town. And that finally brings us to our interview. You guys, it's time to speak with the enemy. And now we bring Rafi Wong onto the line. Now, you guys, Rafi is the site expert of A Royal Pain. Now, this is Fansiders Division or Ode to the Sacramento Kings, if you will. On Twitter, you can follow his site, A Royal Pain, just like it sounds, or you can follow Rafi himself at Raf Nation. That's R A F Nation. Rafi, what's up? I'm doing good, Preston. How about yourself? I'm doing so good. I am so thrilled you are here. Let's get right to it. Before we get to anything else, just so you guys know, we're recording this on a Tuesday afternoon. We just heard yesterday that Mark Stein and Zach Lowe kind of co-reported, if that's a word, that uh, Sam Hinkie has been given permission by the 76ers to speak with, help me with this, Vivek Ranadiv. Is that right? Uh, actually, Ranadive. Ranadive. Sorry. Thank you for educating me. Now, talk about what you've been hearing. Is there a real possibility that the process comes to Sacramento? So, so first, um, I saw the news about Sam Hinkie going to the Kings, and I thought it was true once I first saw, like, I guess everyone else would have thought as well. But as the day progressed, there's the news that came out that, like, the Kings actually weren't interested. Like, they weren't trying to find someone to replace Vladi as a GM. So, I mean, it's really a toss-up, really. I don't really know, like, I don't really have any – inside information about it, just going based on what the news is. It says the Kings aren't interested, but we've heard the Kings say some things before and they turned a 180 on it. So I don't really know what to expect, really. Gotcha. Some of the reports I heard earlier just from uh, Nate Duncan and Danny LaRue on the Dunked On podcast 
was that Vladi wouldn't be displaced. This person would be elevated above Vladi and they would work in tandem. But it was just an initial meet and greet. And like you said, there was a report that it was unfound and the Kings weren't interviewing him. But I got to trust Mark Stein and uh, Zach Lowe. Zach Lowe doesn't do a whole lot of breaking news. So I, I'd like to think that he's coming yeah. through on this one for us. Let's let's try to face it this way. Would you want Sam Hankey taking over the Sacramento Kings? You know, when I first heard it, um, I was a little bit confused because from what I've heard, I've heard that Sam Hinkie didn't really do a good job in the Sixers. Like, he's kind of like, there's kind of like two sides of him. Like, some people liked him, some people didn't. I didn't really hear what, you know, the people that liked him had to say about him. So, I'm not really sure. I think it would be good just because I think he could help Vladi out with this, like, the business side of them, of being a GM and stuff. And, but honestly, um, I don't really know what to expect if he did come back. Yeah, I'd be nervous about a cultural aspect of it. He doesn't. We don't have any proof that he can bring a winning culture. But we do have a lot of evidence that uh, he is the optimal rebuilding general manager. He knows yeah. how to get value for players and for picks. And he knows how to put a franchise in position to at least have top five picks as he's brought in several of them now with Joel Embiid worked out, uh, Ben Simmons brought in Sarich. They've got another uh, one coming this year, potentially another one from the Lakers. So he did, if you guys want to go full rebuild, but we'll get to that a little bit later. Let's stop beating around the bush and let's get to Boogie. Now, Grant Napier called Boogie a dark cloud on February 20. And now four yeah. weeks later, the trade that's altered the landscape for both of our franchises, um, was Boogie and Omar Caspi, Omri Caspi, excuse me, who has since been cut after a broken wrist and now is a Timberwolf in a in a strange uh, twist of fate uh, for Tyreek Evans, Langston Galloway, and uh, headed by Vivek's crush, Oklahoma City's uh, Buddy Held, and a top three protected pick in 2017 and, and a second round pick. Four weeks later after this trade, how are you feeling? Right now, I'm pretty happy with the team just because um, one thing that was Bad with the Marcus on the team was that um, the Kings didn't really have a direction on what where we were heading. It was kind of like when Boogie was on the team, the team was trying to focus on like we're trying to win now, but at the same time we're trying to work on our youth. And it just felt like they're kind of half-assing the the whole rebuilding process. So now with Boogie gone, and the, the Kings now have a good full rebuild, and it seems like the fans know like what direction we're heading, but. When the news did come out when he was traded, I have to be honest that, you know, I wasn't really happy with it. Like, I'm a big Boogie fan, so, um, yeah. But right now it's looking at now, – uh, now it's like um, it's something to look forward to. And that's that's interesting that you say that you're a Boogie fan. I know a lot of New Orleans fans will be interested in that because, you know, we've heard all the reports that he's a negative locker room influence, and we've heard about the the secret meetings where he's yelling at assistant coaches and other players and saying that if you don't have thick skin, then you're going to have a problem being Boogie's teammate. Uh, what is your vibe towards Boogie? Because right now we have some uh, some instances of him you know, complaining to referees or slowly trotting back on defense or uh, kind of sort of lazily sitting above the three-point line on offense when we really prefer him banging down in the paint. What is what is your perspective towards Boogie and the attitude that he brings to a team? Um, well, the reason why I'm such a big fan of Boogie, it's kind of biased in a way because I'm a Sacramento Kings fan, right? Right. 
So, um, <laughs> you know, as a small market team, I'm pretty sure you experienced this as well with uh, New Orleans. Not a lot of players want to come play for Sacramento. When you have a player like Boogie that's as talented as he is, like he might be a top five talent in my opinion. I don't know about player, but talent that wants to not only is fine with playing for Sacramento, but wants to play for Sacramento, then yep. you kind of have a soft spot for him. Definitely. And he did a lot of great things in that area. I know the people there loved him. Um, But we'll talk a little bit more about Boogie Boogie once we get to the game plan. Uh, Right now, let's talk Buddy and Tyreek are your two leading scorers at uh, about 14 points apiece. Buddy is up 10% from the field for you guys, 7.5% from three since the trade. Tyreek is up 5%. And he's up to 50% from three. Obviously, this is a a small sample size, about 14 games. In fact, six of your guys are in double figures with Cauley Stein, Collison, Lawson, and Aflalo since that break. And you guys are shooting a little bit better, shooting much better from three. Are these guys gelling as a team? Or are you guys just lacking a dynamic playmaker and uh, henceforth are just tossing the ball around and everybody's getting touches? I think, um, yeah, just like you said, I think the offense is just more balanced. I think when uh, Cousins was on the team, I think the team just heavily relied on them. But now since there's no, like, star that stands out on the roster, you got you have to rely on everyone to contribute offensively. And I think that's what's happened since the trade has happened. You know, more people are, are getting more reps shooting the ball. The ball movement has improved, even though it was pretty good when Boogie was on the team. But, yeah, just uh, it's just resulted in a more balanced offense for the Kings. Now talk a little bit. You said the ball did move around with Boogie. You think Boogie's a good passer, right? Yeah, absolutely. He's probably one of the best passers, or probably is the best passer for his position. We think he's a great passer, too. I'm speaking for New Orleans as a collective whole. I mean, myself. I think that he's a fantastic passer, but he is prone to turnovers for every beautiful, you know, pass up to the three-point line across the court. He also gets it lost in traffic. Uh, did you have a lot of instances where uh, Boogie was losing possession of the ball and frustrating you on offense? Yeah, it was like, because he, he was a great passer, but it kind of reminded me, like, he sort of like Brett Favre in a way where, he will make those risky throws. And sometimes, what, like, when he's successful making the pass, it's like a spectacular pass. But there are those instances, like you said, where he'll just kind of throw a dud out there and, you know, he'll get a lot of turnovers for us. But That's overall, it's like analogy. passing skill. Yeah, he's one of the best, I think, in terms of just, like, passing skills, but not so much as decision-making. Okay, I got you. Now let's talk back about your Kings. You guys, uh, you should be trying to lose. Do you want your team to bottom out, or do you want these guys to to gel as a group and put in some wins before the end of the season? Honestly, I would like to see the Kings continue to win. Like, um, I know, like, if we do, the better draft picks we get, I mean, that's great. But I think you want to have the, the young guys, especially on the team, have kind of, have experienced some kind of, or experience some winning before you know we get this hopeful rebuild mode okay then sam hinkey definitely does not sound like the gm for you guys uh but yeah but you guys have won your last two in impressive fashion uh beating the clippers and grizzlies i believe by combined two points that's right right yeah (laughs) that's crazy reminding everyone that uh this is a tuesday that we're recording this on you guys haven't played the jazz yet you guys are twenty nine and forty five, four and twelve since the All Star. 
none of you guys are averaging above 30 minutes, save Cauley Stein, who I think is at 32. So if Divac and Jaeger are, are they trying to get a good look at some of the younger guys, or do they just don't know what they have with the 15, and so they're trying to give everybody playing time to determine, you know, you've got a couple of free agents like Darren Collison. Are they trying to get a look at the roster of a whole? Talk about how they're divvying out these minutes across the roster. Um, in my opinion, it just looks like this is kind of like an audition period. I think the coach, like even Dave Yeager, Divac, and Ronald Ibe, they all want to like kind of see what kind what kind of roster they have right now. And if they if they see something that they like, then they're gonna like they're gonna keep. Or if they see a player that they like, they're gonna keep them on board. And if they see something that they don't, they're probably just gonna let that player go. In my opinion. Okay, I got you. Now, uh, we're going to talk about your free agents a little bit later when we address the offseason. But first, let's talk the Pelicans and our draft implications. Uh, as you know, this is kind of a double-edged sword. It's a loaded draft. You guys definitely want two top 10 picks. The Pels are 31-43, and 43, winners of six of their last nine, and are currently in the 10th te- spot slated in the draft. But should they lose out, they could fall to fourth. Are you nervous about losing your pick? And more importantly... Would you prefer the Pelicans to keep winning, to feel safer, but get a worser pick? Or would you rather them lose and take that risk, but potentially get a very high lottery pick? That's a good question. Um, Honestly, I am nervous. Like, if the Kings end up losing um, the pick for this draft, that's a big bummer, especially considering that this draft is heavy loaded, so... I'll definitely it'll, so I'm definitely watching over the Pelicans and getting nervous whenever they play games. But um, I would like to see them. Um, I think they've been winning lately. They're around. Correct me if I'm wrong. Around the tenth spot in the draft right now. Yeah, thirty-one forty-three. Uh, they are currently slotted tenth, but there's a lot of teams right around them. A lot of teams with twenty-eight to thirty-three wins. Yeah, I would like to see them. I would like to see him lose a little bit, maybe land around that eight, seven seed, just to see like just so there's like some comfortability that they won't land in the top three once the lottery goes into place. All right, we'll see what happens. We got a couple of games left, but let's talk this one first. Now, uh, talk about your lineup. So you guys went small in the wing the other night against the Grizz with Darren Carlson, Buddy, and Garrett Temple. And you went big in the trenches with uh, Kufus and Stein to start. Do you think you'll employ that starting rotation against the Pelicans as well? And this is all uh, under the assumption that Boogie's going to play. He's missed the last two, but I'm assuming yeah. by Friday he'll be back. Probably because um, you have two big guys in the interior and Davis and Cousins. And, you know, for the last couple of games, we have put in Scow in the starting lineup and, like, um, in Willie. But... You really need a guy like Kufos with that kind of mass in the interior to start games when you have a guy like Cousins and AD that's going to start for the Pelicans. So, yeah, I expect that line to happen once the game comes Friday. I actually thought that, uh, and you'll you'll know this better than me, but I thought that Willie Cauley-Stein might be the better matchup for Anthony Davis with Kufos on uh, Cousins. How are these guys on the perimeter? What's going to happen when uh, Davis and Boogie have just started figuring out a 5-4 pick and roll to try to switch some defenders? If that does happen, which of these guys matches up best, and are they good at switching and running out on the perimeter? 
Um, you probably Willie because Willie's so athletic and he's got the length. So um, he's yeah. proven that he can defend out there in that area. So um, probably him. And then Costa Costa is more of a you know a defender in the interior in the paint. Okay, so we can look forward to that matchup. Let's talk a little bit uh, about our point guards. Now, I don't know if you're aware, Drew Holiday, uh, our, our big mystery man as far as this offseason goes, uh, Alvin Gentry in the past four matchups has been uh, slowly moving him to a permanent off-guard, combo-guard type position, and he's been putting Tim Frazier in as the primary ball handler, and it's really cut down on Drew Holiday's turnovers, which were a big problem when Boogie came to town. So I'm assuming these guys are going to get matched up together, and they're very similar. Darren Collison's a little bit taller, but they both do that uh, quick style, uh, improve the pace type of play. And uh, talk about how Darren Collison can take advantage. And uh, if they do decide to put Drew Holiday on Collison and slow him down, who's going to take the reins of the offense if he's forced to pass? It's going to be Garrett Temple or Buddy. Uh, Who's going to make plays on the wings if Darren Collison gets taken away? Probably a guy like Buddy Heald because um, I'm surprised why Buddy's stats were so low when he was on New Orleans because he's become um, become an established scorer already, it looks like, at least with the Kings. I don't know if it's because of the opportunities he's getting, but he's been shooting the ball really well. He's been scoring, and he would definitely be someone that Carlson could rely on if he had to pass the ball to someone. Yeah, we're all really thrilled with how well he's doing. Nobody in New Orleans was happy to see Buddy go. He was kind of employed in a a catch-and-shoot type role where he was sitting above the three-point line um, in the corners primarily, and he did have a couple of opportunities to to dribble and penetrate, but for the most part, he's also averaging five minutes more a game for you guys, but he is shooting much, much better, so he must be much more comfortable getting to touch the ball more frequently. Drew and AD are primary usage guys. Uh, Solomon Hill uh, doesn't touch the ball very regularly. Etwan Moore gets opportunities um, sparingly, but uh, I can definitely um, understand why he'd be playing a bit better, and I'm very happy for him. Um, So let's go ahead and talk you guys bench. Now, I'm going to give you the same tip that I gave Matthew Huff of uh, the Denver Nuggets site. Uh, the Pelicans get destroyed at the outset of every second quarter uh, with some version of point guard Tim Frazier, Etwan Moore, Jordan Crawford, or as we call him in New Orleans, Michael Jordan Crawford, uh, Dante Cunningham, and either Alexis Agensa or Donatus Montiunis. Who are your go-to bench guys to start the second, and do you think they'll be able to take advantage without the Pels' big three on the floor? And if I didn't mention this, this is... This is Drew Holiday, DeMarcus Cousins, and Anthony Davis all off the floor at the same time. Usually the bench, it alters because they, they always put in different lineups. But um, I would say that the Pelicans might have trouble going up against Ty Lawson, Anthony Tolliver, you know, Scala BCA sometimes, depending if you guys have any big guys. I think, uh, who was the guy, Alexa or... Yeah, he actually gave us some really, we actually played well, uh, shockingly, after I warned Matthew. uh, We came out of the second quarter, we had a three-point advantage, and we extended it to 10, and it turned out it it just wasn't the Nuggets night. Uh, They had their worst shooting night of the season. They had their worst scoring quarter of the season in the second quarter. 
Uh, I think Nikola Jokic finished with eight points total, maybe 11. It was really an off game for those guys. And our bench unit actually did well for the first time in six games. Usually yeah. uh, opposing teams get out to like a 7-10-0 run and Gentry calls a timeout about three minutes into the second. So if you guys have scorers and specifically if you guys have someone who has a somebody like Ty Lawson, a Ty Lawson, excuse me, who has that uh, dribble penetrate and then those those floaters or those mid-range jumpers that that fall, you guys can just crush us, especially in transition. Um, so if you think Ty Lawson can take advantage, um, then that, that might be somewhere where you guys capitalize, especially with us. Scal's been playing really well. He's been playing 15 to 20 yeah. minutes lately, right? I would say Scal could be a problem for New Orleans, but looking at the bench that Lexus Agenta He's a big guy, so like he might be able to just outmuscle him. Yeah, he's a bit poor with with positioning, but he was a good uh, rim protector, like I said the other day. But if you have speed or agility with Scal, he should be able to work his way around him. And if they decide not to go with Alexis with Monty Yunus, Monty Yunus likes the perimeter a little bit more, so you'll have a bit more space. uh, to take advantage of if you've got big guys who are a little bit more athletic. Um, Is that the type of player that Scal is? Uh, sort of. He's not there at the three-point range yet, but he's more. He's a really good mid, mid-range shooter. And he can sometimes um, get some points in the paint, but it just depends on who's defending him. But for the bench, I would mainly say Lawson and Tolliver would be the people to focus on if I was a Pelican. Gotcha. Now, no matter who's on the floor, uh, the Gentry and the Pels like to push the pace, and keeping Frazier out there... They'll definitely try to to run it. Um, how are the Kings in transition uh, since the All-Star break, both on their starting units and their bench unit? Actually, yesterday we did pretty good defensively, but I think that's just because we were playing Memphis, who's more of a slow-paced team. Yeah. But um, usually our defense kind of struggles. That's kind of what holds us back from winning games. Like our offense is fine, but defensively – we struggle a bit, but um, so I would say if the Pelicans were to push the pace, that'd be huge for them in the in the upcoming game. Okay, and also rebounding is a big weakness for the Kings. I read your most recent article on a Royal Pain. Talk a bit about uh, rebounding and how you guys struggle uh, to get offensive rebounding. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct, especially last game. And you said transition defense. What are some other weaknesses of the Sacramento Kings that you would think the New Orleans Pelicans would try to target? Uh, turnovers. Turnovers have been a big one for the Kings um, for the whole season, really. And like you said, rebounding. Like, we were a poor rebounding team with Boogie on the team. So when you lose your best rebounder, you know, we're going to continue to struggle. So I would say both those rebounding and turnovers have been really um, – a notorious trend for Kings fans to see from their team this whole season. Looking at NBA.com uh, slash stats, your rebounding and assists as a team are pretty much about the same. You're averaging one and a half fewer steals, but um, your offensive rebounding is down a bit, but your defensive is up a bit, but you are shooting much better and drawing contact yeah. a lot less. But that's good to know about the turnovers because uh, the Pelicans have actually been doing much better with turnovers, like I said since um, Tim Frazier took over. So that's something that we'll have to try to to capitalize on. All right, so we got a pretty good preview of the game, of what the Pelicans should do. Now let's talk your offseason. You've got a lot of questions and a lot of stuff to look at. Um, 
I'll, I'll start with uh, your free agents uh, and Vladi. A lot of contracts to decide on. You've got Darren Collison, a free agent, Ty Lawson. You've got Langston Galloway with a player option, Rudy Gay with a player option. Let's let's start with Rudy, actually, because he's got $14 million guaranteed next year should he take it. Do you think he takes it, or do you think he explores the market even uh, after his injury? I've been going back and forth about Rudy, but I think he will opt out of the contract and try free agency just because of how high the, the cap is right now for the NBA. I think he'll be able to find a good offer more than what he would make at Sacramento. Like, I mean, Wesley Matthews, he had a kind of, a same injury as Rudy later in the season, too. He was still able to get a pretty good deal with the Mavericks um, that offseason later. You definitely want, if, if he thinks he can get a four-year contract at his age, I can definitely see him going for that. But even with the uh, accelerated cap, so many teams gave out these stark contracts last year and overpaid to bring players in, specifically yeah. wings like Alan Crabb and Solomon Hill, for example, that I wouldn't be surprised if there was uh, sort of a reverse effect this season and teams were a little bit more wary. But um, does Rudy Gay like playing in Sacramento? Do you see him being on board with bringing in two top 10 lottery picks and being like kind of the elder statesman who ushers them into the NBA? Or do you think he wants out of town and he wants to win now? I would lean towards more of getting out of town and um, going to a competitor for sure. Uh, I don't know if you knew this, but there was an expert in um, George Carl's recent um, biography, and he and he mentioned a conversation they had with Rudy Gay, and he mentioned the Sacramento Kings organization is basketball hell. So, I'm wow, I was listening. I think it was uh, either Zach Lowe or Bill Simmons, but when they were Zach Lowe was interviewing George Carl. That's what it was. And George oh, Carl said that the Sacramento Kings chapter was being taken out of the book. Is that right? I think I heard that too. Yeah. But that little section where Rudy mentioned the team, that got out somehow. Well, they, yeah, they mailed he... out books to uh, media members. So somebody must have yeah. gotten into it. But that's really interesting. Okay. So we can we can look forward to him testing the market. So let's get to your other guys. Darren Collison and Ty Lawson, specifically Darren Collison is uh, a player that's coming up in Pelicans rumors a lot lately. If we should re-sign Drew, we'll get to that in a minute. Um, really, the only facets we'll have to improve are our mid-level exception, which is about $8 million a year, our biannual, which is about $3 million a year. And one of the players that Pelicans fans think that we should potentially target is Darren Collison. Do you think he wants back at Sacramento, and how much money is he worth to you? Um, it's tough to say whether he wants to come back. It seems like he he does like Sacramento, but I mean, it just depends on what kind of role he plays, I guess. But um, I would be open to re-signing Carlson if it weren't. He's one of my favorite players to watch since he's came on, just because he's been so consistent offensively and has been really effective for us. So it's hard to judge what his value would be, just because the NBA caps were. Yeah, the salary cap keeps on raising by the year, but I would say around like fifteen, twenty million would be a good price for him. I'm not sure if that's something he would like, but that's something that um, I think is fair. Do you mean over two, three, four years? Yeah, like a yeah, multi-year contract around like three, five years. Okay, I got you. Let's talk about some of your other guys. Ty Lawson. Uh, 
How has he been? He, you said he's been really dynamic off the bench for you guys. Would you like to bring him back? And what salary are you thinking he's probably worth at this point in his career? Tough to say because um, one of the things that um, I want the Kings to do in this offseason is to draft a point guard for the future and make sure that's established. So I would say like signing a guy like Collison is good because he will be able to help that young point guard and you know, there's not too much pressure on that guy to um, start immediately. So I would say that I wouldn't be interested in signing Lawson just because of that. But I think he, based on what he's, how he's played this year, I can see him getting around like five, ten million, give or take. Per okay, season. let's do a quick hitter on these three guys. We've got Aflalo, Costa Kufos, and Garrett Temple. All have one year left. Costa and Temple each have a player option. Do you want to trade these guys in the offseason and get maybe a couple of second-round picks, maybe even a first for Costa, and just start the rebuilding mode? Or do you want to hang on to these guys and play it out and possibly re-sign them? I would definitely try to trade a follow if you could get something in return, and that's just because the Kings right now currently have a log jam at the two-guard spot. You have Buddy, you have a follow, Temple, Ben McLemore. You know, Malachi Richardson, who's a rookie this year. We're also getting another shooting guard named Bogdan Bogdanovich coming from Serbia. Okay. He's going to sign with us. So we just have a lot of two guards in the mix. So I would say that McLemore is probably out. And I think the team should consider trying to trade away a follow if they can get anything in return. And then for Kufos and Temple, Temple, I really like them. I think they should just stay with the team. They're a good veteran presence, in my opinion. All right. Now let's talk the Pels a bit. Uh, our big question mark this offseason, other than maybe Alvin Gentry, is Drew Holiday. Uh, Bleacher Report just issued an article calling him the best defensive point guard in the NBA, which doesn't help our uh, negotiation side of the table very much. What do you think of Drew, and do you think the Pels would be making a mistake by maxing him out for five years, uh, something to the point of $140 million? Yeah, I remember you mentioning that in your podcast with uh, with Nuglove about yeah. Holiday's defensive ability. So, uh, but um, yeah, if you were to offer Holiday to Max, I think that would be a mistake, just because he is a good defender and he's pretty solid offensively. But in the last couple of seasons, he's been kind of unreliable in terms of durability. He's suffered some injury issues sometimes and. Am I right? Correct me if I'm wrong. No, you're absolutely right. Even when we traded for him from the 76ers, the Sixers failed to report uh, a back injury he had been suffering for, and he's had several injuries since then. Um, uh, This season, he's been very healthy, which has been uh, wonderful. His wife uh, had a tumor that had to be removed post-labor, and since uh, he's been healthy, and he hasn't missed a whole great deal of time. But um, the the problem is we're we're in kind of a pickle. Because if we don't bring him back, we've only got $14 million in space. We lose our mid-level. We lose our biannual. We only have $14 million. We lose our point guard. There's no. I would think there's no way we're bringing in a George Hill or a Jeff Teague. Nobody's going to want to come play with us, especially at that price tag. We could try getting rid of a few uh, first-round picks uh, coupled with some dead salary that we have, like Omera Sheik and stuff. But the easiest thing to do is to bring him back knowing that we only have one year of boogie left, 
we have to win some games to convince this guy to stay. With that being said, with Boogie in town, Drew is 5% worse from the field, 7% worse from three, uh, fewer points, fewer assists, offensive rating is down. Uh, We are playing a bit better defense with Boogie. Turnovers are up. He just hasn't been meshing well with Boogie. And with that being said, you know, they've probably had two practices in the month that DeMarcus Cousins has been in town. So hopefully they put it together this summer. But um, let's let's talk about that. Let's talk about Boogie. In the short time he's been a Pelican, he's had two techs. Uh, we talked about the whining earlier. But he's also averaging 23-12, passing very well. He single-handedly destroyed Marcus All. I don't know if you got a chance to see that. Oh, I didn't. It was really fun to watch he had something to the tune yeah. of 41 17 and and eight it was really a masterful oh, yeah, yeah. he held marcus yeah, all that line yeah he was uh crossing marcus all over it was insane talk a bit more about the ad boogie pairing does it work with ad well i think boogie's uh is a top five talent in this league and I think what's good about him going to New Orleans is that he's not going to be the, the number one guy. At least that's what I view it as. Like for Sacramento, um, he was the only guy that we could rely on to win games. And I don't think he's a guy that fits that, you know, fits that role. So it's good to have him like as a really good number two option on the team. So there is, so on paper, it looks like it should work out. And I think, the big thing about it working out is depending on what kind of pace Boogie can run because, um, like you mentioned, uh, the Pelicans like to run fast, right? Yeah, yeah. The Pelicans like to get up and down the floor in Gentry system. Even with DeMarcus Cousins, we haven't really slowed down a whole lot. We've been keeping the pace oh, up. Oh, really? Because, uh, yeah, just uh, from watching Cousins, it looks like he, he – I think he can run a faster pace, but he definitely prefers to run at a more slower pace offensively. Yeah, and we've been spreading him out of the three-point line, uh, whether it's Gentry's okay. choosing or his choosing. So in the offseason, uh, if we do bring Gentry back, I can imagine they're going to they're gonna be giving DeMarcus Cousins quite a few uh, hill sprints to run, I would think, Yeah, if they're going to keep employing this offense, because you can definitely see him uh, huffing and puffing on his way back to the defensive end of the floor. Rafi, yeah. one question left for you. Uh, okay. Let's go back to February 20th uh, to the All-Star game. Do you still, back on that day, do you still do this trade over again right now? Yeah, I would. Not knowing about the draft going forward, you don't know whether you're going to keep the pick, where the picks are going to end up. Knowing what you know now, you still do it. Yes, and it's because after having the Marcus for seven seasons, we haven't been able to win. We've only been over 30 games once, and we haven't missed the playoffs. So I think you need to change something there. It obviously all wasn't DeMarcus' fault. I thought the Kings did a poor job in trying to build a team around him. But, yeah, if you can't win, if you can't even get near the playoff contention with the all-star-like cousins, you have to change it up. And plus, it just gives us a clear direction on where the Kings are heading forward. Now we can just kind of stop thinking like what the Kings are going to do. Now we know that they're going to fully rebuild, focus on the youth and finally stop taking shortcuts in this rebuilding process. All right, Rafi. Awesome stuff. Again, you guys 
Give Rafi a follow at RAF Nation and follow his site, aroyalpain.com. I believe you guys are playing the Jazz on a Wednesday night. Is that right? Yes, we are. You'll probably have something recapping that. So everybody's going to be listening to this on a Friday morning. So if they want, go to aroyalpain.com and check out your article recapping the Utah Jazz game. Now, if I can plug you for a bit, go to that site uh, and also check out his stuff in regards to the Grizzlies and the Clippers, the last two victories. He's got recaps on that as well. Go ahead and give those a read. Rafi, thank you so much for your time. Awesome interview, bud. Thank you. Thanks for having me. That's it, sports fans. We'll be back on Saturday morning with another pregame edition. I'll be interviewing Daniel Coughlin of Pippin Ain't Easy. And you've guessed it. That is the site blog for the Chicago Bulls. I love that title. I've been Preston Ellis. Follow me at Preston Ellis if you're still here. And if you are still here, go ahead to, to iTunes and give us a rating. You've gotten this far. You guys have a great day. Thank you so much for listening. And let's go Pels. 